0: Joining us today on the Lealogos Radio is Evans Aghelizopoulos, who is an author and ex-university lecturer joining us from London. He will be speaking to us today about Brexit. Evans, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me
0: on the show this is being recorded on the 28th of march brexit was supposed to take place tomorrow the 29th of march by the time that this broadcast airs will likely be after the 29th of march but going by what we know today on the 28th of march we had seven votes essentially yesterday in the house of commons for seven different brexit options and none of those votes passed so, Evans, what's going on with Brexit? What were these indicative votes, as they call them, all about?
1: So, cut a long story short, it appears that they want to leave but at the same time to not cut off the umbilical cords that connect the European Union with Britain. So they are inventing a whole series of things to talk and argue and filibuster a process in order to put everyone's hopes down and to get people to not believe that any form of Brexit will ever happen. We've never ever really come across the concept of an indicative vote. Normally, Parliament vote for something which then becomes law now we are having vote after vote which keeps on changing and the actual main agreement, May's withdrawal agreement, uh, twice has been voted down and the problem is that she wants to bring it back a third time and sensing she hasn't got a majority, they've created another set of fake basically votes. The problem as I see it is that to leave the EU is probably a little bit more complicated than first appeared but on the On the other hand, it's more to do with political will than to do with real difficulties. The Conservative Party is halfway through its electoral term and it wants to maintain power and popular support by constantly saying they are fighting for Brexit and they are trying to taint the opposition which is the Labour Party, led by Corbyn, with being Remainers. In other words, that they want to remain within the European Union. So, people outside of Britain, looking at the process, probably assume they're watching one big giant circus, because May announced to all and sundry, no deal is better than a bad deal. Brexit means Brexit, and we are leaving on March the 29th. And what happened? We're getting to March the 29th, and behind the scenes, she flew to Brussels and agreed to an extension and this extension hasn't really been passed in both houses of Parliament so we are in a bit of a legal limbo in one sense because Parliament introduced the Withdrawal Act that is to leave the European Union and now Brussels has voted for an extension up until April the 12th although may ask for June the 30th and Parliament hasn't voted for the extension Neither has the House of Lords. So May has taken an executive decision to postpone Brexit and we are now in a sort of constitutional situation where Brussels is overriding Parliament whose aim was to leave the EU, not extend the departure. If you can understand what I'm saying. (laughs)
0: Oh yes, <laughs> I mean, it's it's very convoluted, but what it boils down to is that it was actually British law that Brexit must take place on the 29th of March at 11 p.m., and from what I understand, it's actually still technically British law, and that Theresa May has taken it upon herself, along with the European Union, to essentially postpone this departure date unilaterally, but this has not been passed by the two houses, am I right?
1: Yeah, it hasn't been passed by the two houses. May asked for it to be extended to June the 30th. But the problem the European Union now has is that uh, the decision to take part in the European elections expires on April the 12th. And if Britain hasn't left by April the 12th, that means they will stand candidates for the European elections, which are in May. And this is another problem they have, because Farage, who was formerly UKIP, the United Kingdom Independence Party, the man behind basically the referendum vote and the man who in 2014 in the previous European parliamentary elections was the number one party in the UK has created a Brexit party and he has said he will stand if they don't leave before May and because England has around 70 block votes Basically, if the Brexit party wins a majority of them 70 votes, and we look at what is happening within the EU, Salvini and the Five Star Movement are probably going to win a majority in Italy, and then we're left with France and Germany. Germany's got 99 seats, and I think France has got about another 70. So if Le Pen in France gains a large percentage of Euro seats, and the AFD in Germany takes out a chunk of Merkel and the SPD's votes, then out of the four big powers, a majority could end up being from the Eurosceptic wing. And this will obviously create issues for the European Union as a whole. Now let's not also forget that Merkel has been on record as stating that she wants an orderly Brexit She did not say she doesn't want Brexit. She basically said, we need an orderly Brexit. And from that, someone can understand that they are playing games and the games are probably more internal to the British political situation than external. They have probably come to an agreement because you read various reports in the media and they've also said that they've introduced for the trucks that are going towards Dover to go across to Calais, i.e. to France, that they've introduced the go slow situation from now and that will be a permanent feature for when customs comes back. Now, why would they be introducing all these things if there was no Brexit or if we were going allegedly to a second referendum or if we were not departing in any way, shape or form. What I think they're also doing is trying to keep the stock markets calm and try and keep the pound quite high. And although we have what they term severe political instability, this is not reflected at all in relation to the sterling and it's not reflected at all in relation to the stock market. So it's pretty confusing to the outside observer what is actually going on and where they are taking this situation. Another angle to it is the role of the Labour Party. Corbyn spent 40 years of his life as a backbench MP and he campaigned for Britain to leave the European Union and he voted against almost every single treaty the European Union ever created, from the Maastricht Treaty to the Lisbon Treaty to ERM to everything. When the referendum came, he was found to be the leader of the opposition and he campaigned lukewarmly for Remain and the problem he has is that within his party the majority of his MPs are for remaining in the EU. But the majority of where the MPs actually are, their constituencies, because the British parliamentary system is different, say, from the Greek one. Uh, It's constituency-based. So so people vote with specific areas for an MP not based on party lists. So if the MP is on record as being a Remainer, if another election occurs, they will lose their seat if Brexit hasn't occurred. And the majority of Orbin's MPs are in remain areas. And we've also noticed that from his own party, various MPs like Chukka, Umunna and David Lammy, have organised pro-EU demonstrations in the last couple of years. They had a quite a large one last Saturday where around two to three hundred thousand people marched in London with EU flags and they were allegedly campaigning for workers' rights. And this is where you fall off your chair trying to believe the nonsense they were coming up with because everyone has seen what the EU did to Greece by destroying the Labour movement there, creating 40% unemployment. In people, left, right and centre, forcing half a million to leave the country, but allegedly the European Union upholds uh, standards and rights. Well, we haven't seen that in what they did in Greece, and we certainly haven't seen it with what's been happening in the UK. And part of the reason why so many people want Brexit is primarily because of the millions of people that have arrived in this country over the last two decades, which has put a massive pressure on housing, on jobs, on the health service and on the school system. People cannot cope with the situation. so. It's quite ironic that the people who want to remain with the EU, on the other hand, are also moaning about the situation in England when it's the EU that is partly or probably the majority of it to blame for the situation that has arisen. Because for your listeners who don't know, the EU was created based on four principles. The principles of freedom of movement, capital, services and trade. And it was... The Conservative Party with the German political class in the 1980s that introduced the four pillars of the EU. They were then known as the Single European Acts and what they wanted to do was basically give a proper foothold to big business for cross-border trade and to basically get rid of all the differences between states in order to create the United States of Europe with one currency, one parliament and one set of politics but the problem with that is is that Europe is unlike America primarily because European countries are many and varied and far between in terms of economic development and they have a language issue. Although America has different nations living within it, the language issue was centralised from early on and English was the dominant language. If you look at the EU, it's what, at current state, 28 nations and all 28 of them have got a different language. Although people do learn English in schools, not all of them can understand it and not all of them are on the same level to be able to communicate and to change all the legal, judicial and social systems over to centralize it all. And that's the problem, that what they are trying to do to Europe via the EU is something which I think is pretty much impossible. It's too complicated and we have so many differences. Most people don't even know that we have 28 nations, we have 19 countries who have adopted the euro and I think 9 have national currencies still, but they call it the EU. And when you look at the wage differentials, at the bottom end, we have, say, Bulgaria, where the average minimum wage is probably 250 to 300 euros. And then we have Luxembourg, where the minimum Wage is 2,000 euros, so we have a differential of almost times 10. How can all that become the same? Put it another way if someone leaves New York and is working in New York and then gets a job in LA, he's not going to be paid $300 to live in LA because he left New York or vice versa. It wouldn't work, would it?
0: No, it absolutely wouldn't work, and I think that is an excellent uh, analogy and comparison now. You raised a lot of uh, issues. We had the uh, seven options that all failed in the House of Commons last night, uh, March the uh, 27th. What were these different options? And also regarding Theresa May, she had offered to resign as prime minister as long as her deal went through. And of course, we have not seen that. So what is her future as prime minister
1: the main stumbling block from what they say is to do with uh, Ireland. Because Southern Ireland is part of the EU and has adopted the euro. Uh, Northern Ireland is part of UK and has the sterling. So if Britain is to formally leave. The question arises, what happens in terms of border checks between the North and the South? The next problem is that within Northern Ireland, there is a large community of English people who originally arrived from Britain and they settled there. And for many years, there was conflict, including armed conflict, between Britain and Irish nationalists. And the demand has been that Ireland as a whole should be united. But, and this is the third problem, when you have a country which will end up or still has two different currencies, as Britain was part of the EU, there was no need for border checks or for customs posts between North and South. Now, they agreed some time ago in the Good Friday Agreement, allegedly, to basically not have physical borders between North and South. And the EU has used Ireland, and I think also May, to basically Uh, try and postpone Brexit, water it down or weaken it. And their excuse is that we can't put a border in Northern Ireland. Now, I've travelled from the EU into Switzerland and I don't recall them either checking my car or checking whether I was carrying any goods. And I don't think the border issue was anything fundamental. So the question arises, and this is the fourth part of it, is the left or the people who consider themselves to be progressive and who spent the 1970s and 80s campaigning for a united Ireland are now campaigning for a disunited Ireland by basically saying we want to keep the EU in Ireland instead of saying that Southern Ireland should leave the EU alongside Britain and we should have a united Ireland they insist on Southern Ireland remaining in the EU and they are talking up this issue of the border as if that's going to determine what England does as a country because you know 17 and a half million people voted to leave the EU and they should be entitled to leave uh, whether the EU wants to put up a border between uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland Ireland, it should be their problem it shouldn't be transferred back onto england if you understand what i'm saying Now, in relation to May, the way the Conservative Party operates is that their main political aim in life is to stay in power and obviously to not have elections. Now, May can resign as party leader and then they can go to bring in another party leader without actually collapsing the government. And this government is a minority government. And this is where the problem started originally. When the referendum occurred, Cameron, who was then the Prime Minister, said, no ifs or but if it's vote no, we will leave the EU. What happened next was they spent a whole year not enacting the withdrawal act, which is the act which allows countries to formally leave the European Union. And he resigned his position. May, who campaigned for Remain, took it over. And then a year later from the referendum, she announced elections, and she deliberately did not campaign vociferously for Brexit, and she lost. Uh, seats and became a minority government relying on the votes of the Northern Irish DUP. And the Northern Irish DUP obviously does not want the border and they're refusing to agree to her withdrawal act. And May said, I'll resign from my position, someone else can take over, but please vote for my deal. Now, there's two ways of looking at this, it's internal party politics, or it's another form of pressure to the EU to basically agree that Northern Ireland can have a special status and there's no need of putting a border between the North and the South, and then her agreement will be voted by the rest of the Conservative Party. The question now is, why did she originally go for an election? She didn't need to because they already had a mandate and they had the referendum. She could have governed and said we're going to leave and had her majority and won. She didn't do that because I think they wanted to have an excuse to extend the Brexit departure so it has a psychological impact on people. Now remember, before Britain joined the European Union or the EEC, a lot of the sea coast in the north was its own, but then it was shared with the rest of the country surrounding it. And now fishermen have said, you know, they will get on their boats and then go and fish in waters, which are designated as being EU, so they can be arrested. Truckers have protested in various parts of the UK in a go slow movement. So they drive on the motorway slowly and they have their flags, and they said, we want Brexit now. May is creating a political vacuum, which inevitably will be filled. If she doesn't grant Brexit in any shape or form, Probably there will then be some type of crisis and I think in order to avoid that type of crisis they will probably come to some type of arrangement behind the scenes because for the first time we have reached you know what a German saying is better a horrible end than a horror without end. In other words I think both parties now want to separate they want the divorce. Because Brexit has dominated the EU to such an extent. Every other day is Brexit this, Brexit that, Brexit the other. And I think now the EU has had enough because they want to launch on their path, which is basically to create a mini United States of Europe, to create their own little army and to centralise the rest of the countries which haven't joined the euro, to bring them into the euro and then bring in Allegedly, you know, the Western Balkans, countries like Albania.
0: We're seeing all of these machinations taking place behind the scenes. And the way that this manifested itself, as I mentioned earlier, was with these indicative votes, which were actually eight, as I have the uh, results open in front of me right now, cancelling Article 50, which would essentially mean no Brexit lost 293 to 184 a second referendum was rejected 295 to 268 enacting a customs union agreement lost by the closest margin from what i see here 272 to 264 a norway style brexit lost 377 to 65 The Labor Party's Brexit proposal lost 307 to 237. The Malthouse compromise, which I think maybe you'll have to uh, explain that to us, lost 422 to 139. A common market 2.0, as they call it over here, lost 289, I believe, to 188. And then, no deal on April 12th, the new deadline that the European Union agreed to was rejected 400 to 160. Now, aside from all of these different indicative options, some of which I'll admit I'm not even familiar with, what seems to be interesting about this is that rejecting no deal, which has happened twice already, doesn't actually mean that there won't be no deal in the end, and that there won't be a no deal Brexit in the end. Am I right?
1: Yeah, well, basically, this could be an issue of transferring blame to a third party because reports have surfaced that when May went to Brussels to get an extension for the Withdrawal Act, from the 29th of March to whenever she wanted the 30th of of June, apparently three countries refused to grant the extension. Uh, They haven't said which the countries are, but they've hinted that it could have been Italy, Hungary and Lithuania. Now, that in and of itself explains that if an agreement isn't made with the EU, the Withdrawal Act is still an act of parliament. So extending it doesn't doesn't stop it it just suspends it in time for a bit but the act is still there and you've got to look at it from a different way if the eu says you voted for the withdrawal act so we haven't come to an agreement so you're leaving on april the 12th or otherwise you have to withdraw the act and say you're not going to leave you're going to stay there indefinitely now How can the Conservative Party do such a 180 degree turn? It will blow it apart totally and they will lose power. And their main aim in life is to remain in power. So that's where the first problem starts. The second problem is, why would the EU now want Britain in? Because it hasn't adopted the euro. They tried it in the 90s. It didn't work. It was Soros, of all people, that bet against Sterling and forced Britain out of the European exchange rate mechanism, thus forcing them back to maintaining their currency. And how can the EU, after Britain's had a leave referendum, say cancel the Withdrawal Act, come back and join the EU, and also adopt the euro. These things aren't going to happen. It's impossible for that to happen. The the other thing they've been talking about, a second referendum, you know, they call it a people's referendum, which is an absolute joke. Because, I mean, who voted last time? Was it pianos? I don't know, was it animals? Who voted last time? It was the people that voted. 17 and a half million voted. The people's referendum has never once got a majority in all these indicative votes. So let's forget that one. This malt House compromise, I don't think hardly anyone knows what it is, something to do with Malta, and the other ones are just a variation on the theme. Technically, there's only two proposals that can be agreed, is the no deal and May's withdrawal agreement. No other proposal out of all of them, I think, are going to come to fruition, but they're just banded about, so I don't know, they can have something to talk about. Now, on the topic
0: of Theresa May, we had mentioned a few moments ago that she offered to step down if her deal was approved. Let's assume that one way or another, whether her deal is approved or not, she steps down, she resigns. Who from the Conservative Party might be her replacement?
1: normally what happens is they might normally find an interim leader who runs it up until the next elections and then they might put someone else in. It's a bit difficult to say, I mean you know there's various candidates, Michael Gold is one of them, Boris Johnson another, Sajid Javid another. The problem that exists is that about two or three months ago the Conservative Party had a vote of confidence against May half of her MPs voted against her, so the party is split down the middle so if they put in or someone who likes the EU as leader the other half of the party aren't going to like him if they put in a Brexiteer like say Johnson the other half of the party that's remained aren't going to like him so it's basically I think that their buying time is too early to go to the next election and probably too early to choose a person to lead the party and I think what will keep the Conservative Party with a fighting chance is that it has to grant a form of Brexit and then they will spend the next two years because remember the Withdrawal Act stipulates that there is still another transition period for two years. So nothing changes 100% but change occurs sort of gradually, like from the 1st of April in a few days, all EU citizens in the UK are going to be obliged to register to get status of residency this is a precursor to basically reintroducing a visa at the airports. now that doesn't mean that you have to go and pay 10 pounds for your visa and wait in a big queue this will all be done electronically like you book a flight and you have to hand over your passport details there'll be another box for a visa which you just tick and their computer systems work out from which country you're coming And what reciprocal agreement the UK has with that country. And it will be like fast track. So with the technology we have, they have presented a situation that immediately millions of people in England will all be thrown out. And immediately they will lose status because of Brexit uh, which is totally absurd absolutely ridiculous so what I think they're doing is they want someone obviously to take over they don't know who yet and this person is going to go into the next phase of negotiations with the EU regarding the withdrawal agreements that they have because obviously they also want to check their systems are up and running because what they've created is a just-in-time production system where they've unified a lot of markets for goods and if customs checks are required even electronically this has to be tested by the companies involved and obviously to get the things up and running and then we also have the other issue of VAT which as you know goes to Brussels and then companies get the money back. Once Britain is not part of the EU, there's going to be an issue related to value added tax as well. So there's a few things they have to even out. So they've given themselves another two years transition period. At the same time, Britain will probably be doing deals with non-EU countries, primarily Trump. Is already jumping at the bits to say that Brexit can work and we will have a deal with England straight away, which is the exact opposite of Obama, who campaigned for remain during the referendum and said uh, Britain will be at the bottom of the pecking order to do business with America, which is, again, totally absurd. So all the predictions they've said that the sky is going to fall, there's going to be a plague of rats, locusts. The sewers are going to overflow. They've even come up with rocks are going to fall from the sky. And because we're not part of the European Space Agency, we won't be able to block them. They said women's tampons are going to run out. You know, they've said so many things that they've saturated the people with a barrage of propaganda. You obviously remember when we had the referendum in Greece against Juncker's plan. That lasted what? A couple of months. Here it's been going on for three years, and the propaganda has been as ridiculous as the Greek one and as intense. And this is where I come up to another irony on the left side. Of the Brexit debate, within the UK, we have ex-Series MPs going up and down the country, having meetings to basically campaign for Brexit. And the same people, during the Greek referendum, or during what became known as the sort of Brexit referendum, didn't say anything about a return to the drachma or we, we need Brexit when uh, they close the banks down, in Greece, and they didn't allow the pensioners and everyone else to get their money out. This is one of the weapons that the EU doesn't have against Britain. It cannot do anything to the UK. The UK is a massive importer of European goods. If the EU puts a whole bunch of tariffs on British exports, Britain can put tariffs on EU exports, and because they sell more of their stuff here, the extra money they can make, they can then pay to the exporters as a subsidy for the loss of money they have when tariffs have been imposed. They've reduced this whole argument to basically the percentage of tariffs, when in reality it's more to do with population movements, population transfers, and the differences with national economies. But the whole argument has been framed as to what tariff is going to be imposed on British beef being exported to France, as if that is the main issue, which it isn't.
0: Right, so we're seeing all of this psychological warfare towards the public, and I think you made a very good point of comparing it to what was going on in Greece prior to the 2015 referendum but in much more extensive form we're on the air with Evans Agelisopoulos, ex-university lecturer, current author speaking to us from London here on the Dialogos Radio and I'll also mention here since I brought it up just a few moments ago as far as Theresa May's possible replacement, the odds makers have already come out with some odds that I have here open in front of me, Michael Gove 4-1, Boris Johnson 4 to 1, Jeremy Hunt 8 to 1, Dominic Raab 10 to 1, and Sajid Javid 12 to 1. There's also another figure I want to bring up, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who from what I understand is part of something called the European Research Group. He's been a lead Brexiteer for uh, quite a while now, but from what I saw recently, he actually, through his support behind Theresa May's deal at the last minute. Is this the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, last week he was turning it down. This week he said we need to support it in case May chooses to annul Brexit. Basically, uh, he has a hard wing as well, about another 30 MPs who are refusing to agree to anything May says. And he represents the wing of the Conservative Party that, from a long time ago, didn't want to obviously join the United States of Europe. Remember it was the Conservative Party that negotiated most of these treaties of the EU, but then when they realised They would just be part of a section of the United States of Europe and they wouldn't have a dominant role because Britain still has a position on the Security Council alongside France. But if they create the United States of Europe, that all goes and they end up being part of the EU. So it would probably be rotating presidencies and rotating individuals who represent the EU as a whole. And because of its global role and the fact that it also became a financial house. In other words, if you look at the EU, France is considered to be the sort of agricultural behemoth of Europe, Germany, the manufacturing centre, and Britain, the financial powerhouse. If those three countries can't come to an agreement and unite around it, then you'll never get a proper EU. And because they never had a proper agreement, Mog, who actually originates from the financial houses, who runs the hedge fund, basically wants independence of monetary control from Brussels. He doesn't want to be dictated to by whatever Brussels comes up with because he feels that Germany uses satellite countries around it and because it's got a larger population and because it's had a historic relationship with France, they outmaneuver and win the votes and then Britain doesn't have a say. And as a consequence, they won out. Mog now is claiming, I think he's trying to put pressure on the DUP to come around to May's agreement provisionally until they go on to something else because he's basically arguing that May may cancel the Withdrawal Act and this I think is difficult because it will blow up the Conservative Party and it would create a real constitutional crisis between the people, Parliament and the EU which may not be to everyone's liking. When it happened in Greece, the conditions aren't always the same for every country. The actual wording on the ballot paper was against Juncker's reforms. It was not leave the EU or stay. It wasn't a black and white vote. So it has a different weight in terms of the geopolitics. If they annul the British referendum overnight, anything's possible. May tomorrow could turn up. I'm cancelling the Withdrawal Act. I'm going to stay forever, I don't care, right? If they do that, that could lead to a severe breakdown of law and order in the UK. Because it would imply that whatever decision is taken over anything, we will ignore it and just do what we want. And this is where the funny thing is. When the Conservative Party allowed all these indicative votes to occur, The clown of an MP named Oliver Letwin who proposed it in Parliament was the same clown who at the time of the 1980s was an advisor to Thatcher and he proposed the poll tax and the poll tax was the one that brought down Thatcher. That's when they introduced an ENFIA or karate for everyone who just happens to be born in the country. So if you were 18 years old, whether you owned property or you didn't, you had to pay the government something like 800 pounds. Millions refused, it went on for a year, people were taken to courts, in and out. In the end, there was a big riot and the government collapsed. Now, Now, it's an irony of history that it's a Tory who put in a bill to have all these indicative votes. And some of the newspapers obviously picked up on it and said, how could yesterday's man who brought us the poll tax, which ended in such a dismal failure, bring in this silliness again, so they can end up talking about indicative votes. But I think that could be an indication that history is not going to repeat itself. The first time round, it was a tragedy when Oliver Letwin proposed the poll tax. The second time round, He's trying to get rid of Brexit. It's an absolute farce because the climate, you know, when you listen to the radio programmes, when you hear people talking on the streets, everyone has had enough and they all want no deal. They just say, so why don't we just leave? Who cares about any of the agreements? We'll work it out, whatever happens next. And that is the other problem. How can you go into a negotiation of a divorce or a separation, and at the same time say to your lawyer, but I'm not going to leave my wife, but I want to divorce, but I'm not going to leave her. I'm going to follow her about. He's going to look at you and think, this one's not all there.
0: And at the same time telling people that if there is a divorce, there's not going to be any tampons or Mars bars anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, the situation is so funny if it wasn't so sad. <laughs>
0: Now, <laughs> there, there were a couple of things that you brought up earlier. We could look at this from an ideological lens for a moment. You mentioned certain left campaigners for Brexit. And I think you were referring to, among other people, of course, Acostas Lapavitsas, who I actually interviewed him a while back here on Dialogos Radio. He's an economist. He teaches in London. But he was elected as an MP with uh, Syriza in uh, the first elections in Greece in 2015. And he was an individual that was talking about a radical economic plan for Greece, for Grexit. Within a few months, there was a transformation. He suddenly became a candidate with Syriza, and he was talking about mild Keynesianism, and he was ruling out Grexit. He was talking about staying in the euro and changing Europe from within. And now we see him campaigning, along with others, of course, from the left side of Brexit. So I I thought that was interesting. But one thing that I think bears noting over here is that many times in the media, and we've seen this in the past couple of years, and this is often conflated with the election of Donald Trump in the US and with the rise of Euroscepticism in Europe in general, with the likes of Salvini in Italy and Orban in Hungary. Many times Brexit is associated with the right or the far right, some would call it, with racism. that it was just the vote against migrants which means that it was actually people revealing their inner racism and yet there has been from the beginning not just recently a left-wing argument in favor of brexit and in favor of workers rights and there's been campaigners on the left for it too am am i correct
1: yeah basically if we go back to the 1970s when Britain joined the European Economic Community, there was no referendum. And then two years later, they had a referendum, should we have joined, which was totally absurd because they brought them in without a referendum and then they're having a referendum, should be in the house, you know, after we've opened the door and we've entered. During that referendum in 1975, the left, which was a lot stronger, campaigned for exit and quite a lot of the trade unions also campaigned for exit from the European Economic Community because they saw it for what it was, a big business stitch-up, where basically corporations could move things about with no concern about labour rights or product rights of small producers. And we have seen the evidence of this in extreme form with what happened to Greece. It's been decimated for being part of the EU. It became de-industrialized, it became a net importer, and throughout the agricultural sector, the EU reduced it from around 30% from which it was before it joined to about 7 or 8% now. Now, in England, the main trade union which has campaigned against The EU has been the Railway Workers' Union and British railways were the first ones privatised out of all the ones in the European Union. And we ended up with around 40 or 50 different companies running different parts of the railway. That then led to various crashes and a lot of people dying. And then the government was forced to basically spend double the money that it did before maintaining the tracks and the private companies basically just had the trains and collected the money and the cost of maintaining the infrastructure fell onto the taxpayer and these private companies have increased the prices so much where we have for instance one route in London from London Victoria to Gatwick Airport you know it's a what, 25-minute journey. I think it's the most expensive per mile journey on the planet, out of anywhere. And it's a monopoly. So they claimed they were going to have privatisation, increases competition. And what did they do? They created private monopolies and sent the costs of the infrastructure back to the government, which is, I was reading recently, you know, what they're trying to do in Greece as well, with the privatisation of the water. They want... To sell off the water company. That means the pipes and the water that goes into people's houses. But the big cost, which is sewage and the sewage pipes and the waste to remain for the government. So basically, a private individual gets a government backed loan to be handed over a company that generates money. It goes from basically a state monopoly to a private one, and they just make money. So the RMT has campaigned vociferously for years against the EU, and they're the only ones who basically say five things which are correct. And the problem is that they are an absolute minority. Most of the other unions are either co-sponsored or co-funded by Brussels. I mean, we had the absurd situation at the end of last week where we had the British TUC, which is the Greek version of Yasser, yes the trade union federation, had a joint meeting with a confederation of British industry, their leaders, and said, we don't want Brexit. So, I mean, you know, seventeen and a half million and people voted for it, but they don't want it. Well, one can tell why. The directors of the CBI, they're all on, you know, one or two million pound salaries. And the head of the TUC gets around £200,000 salary and she also gets all these Brussels grants. So obviously, she's going to run the line of he who pays the piper calls the tune. So my opinion is the mistakes that have happened is that UKIP should have campaigned in 2014 on the streets when they got a big vote. That would have reinvigorated a section of the left to also do some street campaigning. And they have left The situation alone to such an extent that the only people who are now demonstrating on the streets are the Remainers. Tomorrow, there is allegedly going to be a couple of Leave demos. And this is where the government plays politics again, because certain sections of what are termed the far right around Tommy Robinson and what was the English Defence League, they're going to be on the demonstration asking for Brexit. Now the government easily will say, ah, these are all fascist Nazis, so anyone who supports Brexit is that, without actually saying that creating a United States of Europe under German and French leadership is basically recreating the Fourth Reich. And we have seen how they turned Greece into an abject colony where its budget is first written in Brussels and then faxed to Athens in English And it isn't even translated for the MPs to vote for it. When we have those things going on and you talk about fascism, avoiding what Brussels is doing, then basically you're using the excuse of fascism to implement, you know, an extreme right-wing neoliberal agenda, which is what the EU is. And they've also ignored the fact, and this is why people like the EDL arose in the first place, In the 2000 decade, the Labour Party embarked on a project of bringing in as many people as possible into Britain. They made agreements first to allow Eastern Europe to come in, in 2004, for instance Poland. Polish people were allowed to come to the UK prior to them being allowed to work in Germany or France. And in 2011, Britain also opened its borders to countries like Bulgaria and Romania, first before anyone else. And these population movements were massive. At the same time, a lot of drugs was being distributed through what they call, I don't know, probably NATO. And in a lot of towns in the north and in the middle of England, drug gangs emerged, which were also involved in the mass rapes primarily of British girls and a lot of the perpetrators according to government reports, not mine were around 85% British Asian and of a specific ethnic community and the English started to go on the streets and complain and the local councils, the police, the local judges started calling them racist because they're complaining against an ethnic minority, when in reality, if a girl under 16 is being sexually abused, that in and of itself is a criminal act according to the statute books. But we live in an era where laws are what the state chooses to be, and what the state doesn't choose isn't a law, and they invent another story. That's why I said they're trying to taint the whole of Brexit as being a race fault, when in reality, it's a class vault against globalization and the freedom of movement of capital in bringing in labor or bringing in money no questions asked and people want and that's one of the slogans of the Brexit campaign to take back control whatever that means in other words they want to say in what is going on they don't want things just to continue as they did before no questions asked, and if you raise an objection, people don't want to be branded with the easy phrase of racism, which is quite easy to throw out. And obviously, this is how they've tainted the Trump administration before he even came to power. They've tainted Brexit, they've tainted, like, the Auburn regime, and they've tainted Salvini and the Five Star Movement. In other words, people that question what is going on, why is it happening, Is there another way? Cannot, by the very nature of just putting questions out, to be branded a racist. And for people that don't know their history, because the left-wing history has been buried in a mountain of lies, uh, Marx, who created a movement 150 years ago called the First International in Europe, was a German emigre living in, in England. He campaigned for something known as revolutionary repatriation. In other words, people should not just be allowed to arrive in countries without asking the people living there whether they need them, require them, or why are they coming? In other words, why should a British railway worker accept another 50,000 railway workers from Poland? Does that serve him any purpose? If the jobs don't exist, that increases competition at a low level. And then the person who's grown up here loses his job, loses his income, loses his life. And the person that has arrived may be living in a shed, maybe sharing a room. He doesn't want to start a family. He just wants to collect money. Now, if this is all they want, well, people don't want it anymore, and that's why they voted for Brexit. It's a class vote, not a race vote.
0: Right, and we've seen, as you mentioned, all of those accusations against those who elected Donald Trump, against those who support leaders like Orbán and Salvini and the Five Star Movement. That being said, of course, uh, Trump uh, seems to be supportive of of Brexit. In fact, the Trump family seems to be supportive of Brexit. Even Donald Trump Jr. came out about a week ago, essentially trolling (laughs) Theresa May on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, Trump has a good relationship with Nigel Farage as well. And Trump has been talking about the possibilities that exist as far as creating an economic deal between the United States and the UK. And then it's interesting, by the way, you mentioned that those three countries that were against giving an extension to the UK to postpone Brexit even by a couple of weeks, I believe you mentioned Italy, Hungary, and Lithuania. So we're talking right there about Salvini, Orban. So there is an axis here, but I think you've also explained clearly that there's a very strong and a very legitimate left wing argument in favor of Brexit as well and one which of course the news media likes to overlook likes to ignore now one thing you mentioned very early on was about how, despite all of this talk of there being a constitutional crisis and a political crisis in the UK, and that Brexit, this, or even just the threat of Brexit, this wrecking the British economy, the sterling has not only held steady, we've seen it going up on many occasions uh, after certain votes in Parliament and so forth. There's also been um, some that have been arguing that the city of london the banking and financial center is actually in favor of brexit as well or at least that there's some elements there in the city that favor brexit so what do you think is going on as far as the markets are going and if they're perhaps being manipulated over this brexit issue
1: when the referendum happened uh, sterling took a hit it was probably overvalued it was around one sterling to one euro 40 and then at one stage it almost ended up being one to one and they started talking about sterling will end up being 90 cents then some equilibrium returned and it's now gone up to about 116 117 probably its proper amount is probably 125 so i think they have manipulated it a bit down but what we're observing now is that the agreement is not happening and there are all these discussions and debates and it seems to have zero effect either on the stock markets or on the value of sterling. I followed it for the month of March, the Brexit month, and it started to go up a couple of months ago. It was 1.07. It even dropped down to 1.06. So these things are happening so it's pretty weird if the explanation is Some people have said it That Brexit won't happen That's why Sterling is getting strong I can't see it that way Because I think if and when The European elections occur There's going to be other changes Within the EU In other words, Merkel may officially Move out of the presidency She's already moved out of the party If she gets a drubbing In the Euro elections It might be time for her to just go. The Euro Parliament, after May, will have changed. So it will be a lot more favourable to what happens here. And all them clowns that have dominated the EU for the last five, years, Guy Verhofstadt, Juncker, and have come out with all them ridiculous statements constantly, will have gone by October, I think. So if we look at it, and if the theory is correct that Trump, wants a sort of nation state based EU, not an open borders, constantly expanding, globalising EU, then the conditions are coming where the Eurosceptic bloc within the EU will end up being in alliance with the USA, because now it's sort of out of sync. But the time is coming. I mean, we recently read about a law in Italy where Salvini passed a law, the right of self-defence which is an American law, but doesn't exist in Europe. So if someone is to enter your house for no reason whatsoever, and you feel under threat, you have the right to defend yourself. Within the EU, the rules are someone enters your house, does whatever they want. And if, say, the outcome is bad and the person happens to die, you're immediately arrested and you're put up on charges of excessive force. But I mean, you know, if your life is under threat, what does excessive force mean? people interpret it in different ways there isn't one way of interpreting it but why is that person in your house in the first place the fundamental question
0: Right, absolutely. So I do think we are seeing this political shift in Europe, and I should even add that it looks like Steve Bannon is working in Europe to uh, put together a coalition of these Euroskeptic parties and movements in different countries, and despite that much-publicized uh, tiff that he and Trump had, it looks like he's 100% in line with the Trump administration's perspective, uh, if you will or policy on this issue is that what you see as well
1: i think he's unofficially officially still working for the trump regime and he's obviously trying to organize uh, situations behind the scenes within the eu you know when they told us that he'd already had a big split with trump and he'd left he suddenly appeared the day before in the italian elections or newspapers reported him and he said the outcome of the election and who would govern next Six months before it happened, he said there will be a Salvini-Beppe Grillo government. And at the time, I remember, you know, retweeting it and people started to laugh, saying like, who is this Steve Bannon? What is he, a fortune teller? When in reality, you can predict where things are going because you can see that certain changes are being put into place. When Trump came here about a year ago, May invited him and then we had, the mayor of London, Khan, whose nickname is Can't Do Anything, complaining, how can we uh, allow this evil, racist American to come, despite the fact that Trump hasn't really started any wars. Obama started about seven, or continued seven wars big time, but no one complained about him. He said he didn't want Trump to come. Then you had the Speaker of the House who said the same, and we noticed when Trump arrived, He attacked May and said she can't negotiate Brexit properly. She's useless. And this was the night before they were going to have a joint press conference. And she turned up to the press conference. Obviously, there's a reason. Her husband is a big shareholder in one of these arms industries. Any prime minister worth their salt, if Trump the night before has written an article in the newspaper and given an interview saying The Prime Minister of England is useless. She should resign and give it a rest. She can't negotiate Brexit. The least she could have done was cancel the joint press conference. She didn't, which shows how weak they are. In other words, if Trump wants to pull down the EU, it's going to be a clear sale in the next six months. I don't think there'll be anyone who'll be able to stop him. Even Merkel, from what I said previously, said, we want an orderly Brexit. She's eating her words and she's come to accept... That we can't go on as we did before.
0: So one final thing before we uh, close out as we're running out of time. There was an interesting article just the other day on Zero Hedge about what might happen if a second referendum is held. You know, this seems to be the great big hope of Remainers having a second vote where they seem to be certain that they will overturn the first referendum. And yet, uh, according to this perspective at least, published by Zero Hedge, that doesn't seem to be too certain an outcome at all and that perhaps it's more likely that a no deal Brexit, if uh, such an option was presented via referendum, would actually emerge victorious. In your estimation, what do you think might happen if, hypothetically, a second referendum was to take place?
1: I don't think they would want a second referendum because it creates a constitutional anomaly because the decision of the first referendum was never enacted. To do this now properly, they would have to leave and possibly three years later have a second referendum if they wanted to to go now for a second referendum when they haven't enacted the first one will break the political parties apart you know people they won't vote for the conservatives easily or the labor party It will create a big mess i think the concept of the second referendum is just banded about so it can give a sort of pressure valve to the eu globalists that exist so they can have something to aim for which they'll never get to uh, because You can't technically be pushing for a second referendum for so long and it not happening. And May has an argument nowadays to basically say that Parliament hasn't voted for it twice. There's no majority for a second referendum. So I think we have to discount it. You know, it was just created as a way to keep the EU crowd active.
0: Evans, we're out of time. I'm glad we had the chance to have this discussion today. We didn't get to non-Brexit issues, but we can always uh, do that another time. So thanks for joining us. And uh, hopefully sometime soon we'll have a chance to discuss the outcome of Brexit, what will happen in the next few weeks, and also developments perhaps in the Balkans and elsewhere.
1: Definitely. Thanks very much for having me on your show.